Hey, podcast world, welcome to another exciting episode of FNO InsureTech. And when I say exciting, I am not kidding, right, Lee? Your boy sounds so excited right now. I'm, I'm, I'm titillated. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, good, good use of the word titillated. And the reason is today, for the very first time, we go offshore. Right. Now we've had we've had Canadian interviews before. Yeah. But this is the first time we've gone actually all the way across the Atlantic onto the shores of the UK into London for a interview with Leon Gauman, co-founder of Elswin. Yeah, I think it's very exciting. Uh, last podcast, I thought we had actually interviewed someone from Israel. Uh, I was wrong. <laughs> so this is our first time to actually have somebody from uh, across the pond, as they say. Who who came up with that, across the pond? Was that America? Was that UK, are, England? Are you really asking this question? Maybe we Do should you know the answer. Well, maybe we should put it out as a contest question. Um, if you great. can, if you can identify to our listeners, if you can identify who um, actually coined the phrase across the pond, you'll win an autographed picture of Lee and I. Yeah. Um, Will it be our, our, our actual picture or, or caricatures? Uh, no, it'll be our actual picture. That's even better. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we'll see. Yeah. What do they need to do, Rob? Maybe email us, maybe go to FNO insuretech.com i think that an email i think that'd be would i think that'd work good yeah yeah uh -huh. we would actually love that uh-huh uh-huh they, they'll get an autographed photograph and, and of any size that they would like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you name the size life size life size no problem we have that we yeah. we possess that technology we do actually we can we, we do can we have that. a we have a giant we have printer. a giant we printer. can print that for you uh -huh. yeah so yeah. everybody i'm sure you're very excited about that today we have on elswin elswin is a digital product consultancy which is basically a company that somebody would go to and say hey i have this great idea for a digital product within a certain vertical and they help you take it all the way from there till to launch brilliant guys all engineers who understand the landscape and work extensively in fintech and insuretech. Yeah. And I think that I would really like to talk about uh, what is insuretech like over in England? You know, uh, what is what is going on? Are they receptive to it? Is there pushback? Uh, really, what is the overall atmosphere of insuretech? So I think, I think that'll be a great conversation. Sure, and we'll even try to ask him what's going on with Brexit and how that might influence or impact insure tech in in europe that's a great question so without further ado let's get to our interview with leon galman co-founder of elsewhere hey podcast world we are here with a whole new chapter of fno insure tech a whole new episode and we're very excited because today we go out of north america yeah for the very first time yeah and we have a guest from London, England, Mr. Leon Gauman, founder and CEO of Elswin. How are you doing, Leon? I'm doing very well. Thank you. How are you? We're, I'm good. Thank you for asking. That's nice of you. Leon, tell our listeners, where, where are you? So I am in London, 
which is pretty spread out. So to uh, triangulate me a little bit better, I'm in an area called Shoreditch, Shoreditch, which is a part of East London, heavily gentrified part of East London, which is kind of been uh, coined as the Silicon Roundabout, or better or for worse. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it's it's an area of London where there's a high concentration of technology companies and startups. And we're kind of a, also a stone throw from the city of London, which is an important financial services center, as I'm sure you're aware. And so it's kind of a next, next neighborhood to the city, which was always neglected and, uh, you know, and was uh, relatively poor and et cetera. And it's uh, now been gentrified fully and a kind of the high-tech area of the city. So in other words, now you can't afford to buy a place in that neighborhood. Not even Where five years ago or 10 years ago, you probably could have stole something, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like that. Yeah, I think uh, uh -huh. London through that a few times, like any other major city. So you're founder and CEO of Elswin. Why don't you tell us for a minute or two about Elswin, what you guys do, and kind of how you fit into the insure tech world? Sure. So just a quick correction. I'm a co-founder. So I have two other Thank you. Thank uh, founders and I'm a director of product and strategy, which is kind of a CPO, CSO title. Here, uh, uh, a lot of times we use director. So like a finance director instead of a CFO, but it's a, it's a similar thing. Um, we actually don't have a CEO, which is a different story altogether, but just, just to make sure that that is Says. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. No worries. Um, and Elswin is a, um, we're a digital product consultancy. So we work with uh, the corporate sector and we help, uh, we'll help kind of large corporate clients launch new products and services or uh, kind of in a, in a change activity of kind of part of digital transformation has been coined and used heavily. And one of our key sectors is insurance. So we do financial services uh, and insurance is another important sector for us. So tell us how a company would get engaged with you guys. Give, give us an example of what they, an insure tech or a fintech might use you guys for. And so a company would engage with us because they potentially want to introduce into their organization the type of talent processes and experience that Elswin has, or they might be a, which is a lot of times the case in the corporate sector. You know, corporates are looking for new ways of working and some of them realize that sometimes it's better to get some of the opportunities and challenges outside to get new perspectives or work in a different way, et cetera. If it's a more um, kind of modern organization, so we work with the larger startups kind of on the, on the startup scale, then it's usually about finding a trusted partner that uh, thinks and walks and talks in the same way and taking something off the roadmap that is usually not the core activity and helping to define and, and implement that and get that to market. So we, uh, with kind of uh, our bigger corporate clients, we position ourselves as an alternative to more traditional uh, consultancies. So kind of the management consultancies or uh, kind of strategic design consultancies or like the very big integrators. So we, pr we propose a model that is 
a little bit more modern, a little bit more akin to something that you would find in a modern technology company. Does that make sense? Yes, I think it does. I'm wondering if maybe you could walk us through uh, some of the steps that you would actually take with a new company who comes on and wants to go through this uh, digital transformation. Um, digital transformation is is a it's a it's a big kind of sentence, a, a big kind of field that's been coined with uh, sure. this nifty uh, nifty. Uh, uh, kind of concept, which is, again, that's a very consultancy thing to do. Uh-huh. The steps that we walk through is for us, technology is technology and customers are customers. And it doesn't really matter if they're your internal customers or your external customers. And, you know, and we have huge respect for technology because we and our history and everybody who's involved with us kind of raise, rose from uh, execution and from actually, you know, working in the kitchen and delivering things. So our typical engagement will help our clients to a lot of times to define what they're trying to achieve. Um, so across strategy, product design, and technology in a lean and agile process to kind of, you know, what what is the strategy? Where are we where are we actually going to? And that's kind of looking at at an opportunity or a set of opportunities that our organization thinks are viable, clarifying some of the assumptions that we made, testing some things, and then creating something that is akin to a business case, you know, to, is, is akin to a plan of moving forward. And then we would work with the organization to actually take a first version of that to market or take a first version of that to um, internal customer plans. And then we would scale uh, up and eventually in most cases hand over back uh, control into the organization, hopefully with some learnings for them and some new technology, some new strategies, some new approaches. That would be a, a, a kind of a general shape of a process. So tell me what, I guess I'm looking to get a little more specific. What is a problem or a product or a um, solution that somebody would come to you and say, help us with this. What is something that you have actually worked on in the past that can help our listeners understand exactly what it is you Well, do? it can be anything that is software, right? So if we... Software? Always software. Okay. It's always digital. So, uh, you know, okay. it could be a telematics platform. It could be a, a new way of kind of using data to provide certain type of products. Like I'm kind of top speaking in, in insure tech and insurance context. Right. It could be a delightful customer experience. You know, there's a lot of opportunity to improve things for customers in this sector. It always has a digital component. It's always about technology and it's always about always about software and it can be b2b b2c we love to think about consumerization of enterprise that is something that we're really really into however we work on a consumer side as well so would a would a client come to you and say i'm looking to build a piece of software i need your help or would they come to you and say i have the software i want to use can you help us implement it they usually come and say hey i have this really interesting idea okay or I have a series of ideas, you know, and how, how do I get this done? I see. Then we work with them to define how do you get this done? And sometimes what comes in into the process and what comes out out of the process is different because we met customers. We put some prototypes in front of people. We tested some technology and we realized and learned something together. And then once we have that 
um, learning, we understand, okay, how do we actually get this done? We work on a plan together and then we start to release as, as fast as we can, really. Sure. Sure. I mean, we, we have that in our own company where our executive team will get together and we'll be discussing a problem and an idea and like, mm. <laughs> wouldn't it be cool if, if we could do this? Mm. Or, you know, here's a problem that we have. I wonder where we could find a solution. There has to be a technology solution that can either be bought or devised for this problem that we have. And So some of the work we do is sometimes looking at what's available in the market. So if you think about insure tech, and I always look at fairly or not fairly, but I look at the insurance sector trailing a little bit behind the financial services sector. Well, I think we agree with that. Yeah. yeah, and being very similar. And one of the things that we see in financial services sector is that after the big bang, well, certainly here we had the open banking and PSD2 and companies that were forming just a little bit ahead of that to, you know, to, to take advantage of uh, new regulatory flexibility and availability of data and also changing the consumer sentiment and forming companies that are very much consumer focused. And these folks, once they went into the market, a lot of them realized, hey, consumer is very hard. Selling to consumers is hard and it requires a huge amount of firepower. And actually, the banks already have the consumer. They already have loads and loads of customers. So maybe we should try and pivot and sell solutions to the banks. So certain type of um, customer journeys or certain type of technology solutions are available. And then when we work with our customers, with our clients, we uh, look at what's available out there and we understand, if, you know, is that viable? Is that good? Is the team behind it uh, understand what they're doing? They can take on board a significant, you know, corporate client. And we create a kind of a, a well, you know, because I don't have a better term, I'm going to call it a solution architecture of a roadmap, a roadmap, a little bit more on the solution side. So, you know, what are we going to be building? What are we going to be buying? What can we uh, collaborate on in mm-hmm. this is exactly back to what you said, you know, that some, some things are already there and you should not reinvent the wheel, but also some things that are out there might be not good enough or right. And it's actually better to build and own the technology. Uh, you have an, a, a very interesting resume from your past. How, tell us how you guys came to Elsewhen you and your co-founders and, and um, you know, a little bit about your history and, and, and how you guys got to Elswen and, and up to today. So Elswen has been co-founded by three engineers, which is quite a distinct DNA that our organization has. So um, we have a director of technology who is obviously a CTO and used to be an engineer. Uh, there's me. I'm director of product and strategy. I also used to be an engineer. And our director of customer experience of the, and design used to be an engineer as well. So it's a very um, kind of unique uh, DNA in a landscape where a lot of people who deal with the 
strategic elements of technology have never ever written a single line of code and never worked on a product before. So we have a, a little bit of a different approach and view. Um, myself, I'm a weird <laughs> engineer. I actually finished a degree in art. Oh. Um, during my degree, I found that I can do really crazy stuff by writing code. So I started to build these um, algorithms that do, did all sorts of crazy generative stuff. Essentially, that was my art. And I actually, I got a scholarship to, to pursue this in New York, but I found a job working in a tech company and I just really got uh, excited about solving problems and building things that people use. So I never pursued my, uh, my art degree. I, I kind of got sucked in into, into this and, you know, spent a, a few years writing uh, software in different languages and I have relatively broad exposure as an engineer, a polyglot engineer. Um, and then the three of us came together and we started Elfwen and Elfwen started as a uh, build shop, you know, give us specifications, you're going to get something on the other end um, that is fairly uh, aligned with that. However, we understood that to be able to produce the type of output that we are happy with, that we think is good, we needed to control more and more of the building blocks. So we wanted to control the design, the product design, and the you know, and the and kind of uh, create the requirements for the problem. And essentially, we drifted to to strategy and kind of the vision and 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 kind of the, the planning around that. We were very lucky to have Google as our first client. Sure. Uh, so on the back of that, you know, it's, it's a great company to work with. And on the back of that cash flow, we spend a few years building startups. So essentially creating uh, new companies, new uh, products with investors, VCs, and founders that don't have any experience in executing on product. Wow. So this is kind of interesting because when I say that now, even back then, especially to folks from the West Coast, you know, a founder that starts a company and doesn't know his product was always like, what do, what do they know then? <laughs> right, you know? right, right. An unthinkable uh, 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 conundrum. It was an unthinkable conundrum. In, um, here in London, there was a very common uh, situation where you had entrepreneurs that don't have experience in execution, but understand a business very well will have a knowledge graph. And for example, in insurance, that, that could be a very common scenario. You know, it's somebody who spelled years and years in Lloyd's and then found a certain problem, but never executed on product. So we would build teams around these guys and uh, execute a few first versions and then also participate uh, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the business in terms of equity. Uh -huh. uh, we realized quite quickly that unless we find a fund, and we set up a fund, not fine, but set up a fund. It's not really a business because you have to follow up. So unless you follow up, uh, it's, it's not a business. But um, the landscape around us started to change. And we kind of always feel like we're, we're on the kind of knife edge of this wave where, you know, in, in larger companies, not technology uh, first companies like Google, but other companies, insurance, for example, right. um, digital and technology started to become a thing that the company has to deal with. Customer expectations are changing. Internal customers and external customers, kind of the digital native workforce is expecting different things from the tools that they're working on. Customers certainly expecting 
delight in their products. Um, and on the back of that, uh, it allowed us to build this uh, digital product consultants in this practice where we bring processes and technologies and talent that is more uh, kind of uh, technology-oriented talents, more kind of people you would find in Spotify or Facebook or the, you know, sophisticated tech organizations. And we bring them to the corporate sector and we, uh, and we work on the problems that these guys have. So that's kind of... Uh, what what else one is in the history, really? Fascinating, fascinating. I'm very interested in the juncture of art and technology, and um, there's a lot of similarities, right? And a lot of differences, and and uh, I'm sure a lot of artists find technology to be maybe um, foreign or uncomfortable. Do you, um, but in in my own work of of what we do. In our company, I I always try to think about it from a kind of an a, a perspective of art that we're trying to create art or make art. Do you bring some of your art sensibility to to your work? Um, I have a very uh, kind of Eastern approach to that. Can, in I do martial arts, and you know, in martial art, you know, it's an art, and it, it kind of in the East. And in Japan, that's really, really evident is that everything that you do, and you could be sushi chef, you could be, you know, a, 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 a clay uh, kind of a, a burner, you could be, you know, making kind of clay objects, you can be anything. And any type of activity that is human activity that has a certain level of depth in it is always striving to become an art form, you know. And I try and look at what I do in the same way as trying to, I think, as soon as you do something at a certain level of depth, dedication, uh, and love, it becomes art. And it doesn't matter what that is. So that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. I like that. I yeah. like that a lot. Let's, let's talk about InsureTech in the UK, in London. Um, you said that you guys... Um, are, are playing in a lot. Obviously, um, London has a super rich history of insurance. Of course, the home of the home of Lloyd's. Uh, t talk to us a little bit about what's going on in InsureTech in London. Well, as I mentioned to you about our history, one of the first sectors we looked at when we started to look at the corporate sector was insurance because it was so obvious. You know, there is such a obvious opportunity for change and we met i'm not going to mention and uh, the the name of one of the large insure com insurance companies and we engaged with some fairly senior people over uh, and they came over to us and we had discussions and then the whole fun you know fintech thing was just kind of waking up we just started to realize that this is this is a real thing you know there is this activity there is this attack on incubants and we were chatting to the insurance guys and we were going you don't think you guys are going to be next and the response that we got back then really shocked us because the, the actual uh, uh, quote was the eye of Zeran had not turned to insurance industry just yet Wow. 
Interesting. That, that's the quote, you know, and we were sitting there going like, wow, this is amazing. Um, you know, and the feeling was that, and these were people that were, you know, within these, this relatively, you know, London and has this history, you know, this, it's, it's hundreds of years worth of uh, or organizational history in, in some of these companies. And the, these people were kind of like the cutting edge of innovation within that organization. I was saying, there is people within our organization don't believe that it's going to happen because of the regulatory protection, you know, because the, yes. the, the regulatory walls will protect us. Right, right. And that kept on repeating in a few other places where, you know, there were, uh, and this is where I kind of, alluded to earlier that, you know, the digital natives and kind of people that are, are entering organization and rising in the ranks are their expectations of technology and engagement of technology is different. Um, and the feeling that we were given is that some of the people on the very top just don't, don't believe that it's a thing, you know, but fast forward to today, I think the world <laughs> is very different. And I think, you know, things, things have, have matured and I think there is a there is no more denial certainly but I think insurance is relatively late to the game and I think maybe there's an opportunity to learn a lot from other sectors and uh, you know uh, I don't know if you're aware but Lloyd's unveiled uh, like a 146 page plan um, to uh, you know to, to try and, and you know and again like it's, it's within certain context, but to try to get things digital and online and etc. So I think um, there is a realization now, but um, it's, uh, it's a very slow moving sector. It's a slow moving sector. When you when when about how long ago was that conversation that 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 quote came out of? Maybe three four years. Yes, yeah. so kind of beginning of fintech. I would right. Say. Here in the states, it, even the term insuretech is is relatively new, and mm. um, but one of the big things that's happening here is a focus on innovation, and insuretech has mm. kind of been moved underneath that um, the the innovation umbrella, and what we've seen uh, a lot through the podcast is more and more carriers here in the states are embracing innovation initiatives innovation departments innovation organizations and or or even building a separate um, lab they call them sometimes inside of the yeah. company to focus on innovation and insure tech you know gets brought in um in, inside of that is, is is that kind of what you're seeing from a process standpoint um, in, in Europe? Uh, I think it's, we're kind of on the closing side of that, um, of that circle, I think, of that, of that wave. I think in here there is, I think, uh, a bit more of a realization, but there will be a reckoning day as a lot of other... Uh, similar uh, approaches have showed in other sectors that uh, it that there is a there is a, there's issues with these models. 
Um, and we certainly engaged in working with, and again, I, I can't really go into detail of, of, of names, but we certainly engaged in working within that context. Um, and I think there is a bit of an understanding uh, that there is an element of innovation theater in this, both on the activity out of these hubs, their relevance and their ability to embed back into the business. And also, I think, on the side of uh, the tech companies, the startups, and it's similar in banks, is, you know, in, it's kind of like watching trees. It's, it's like the tree and the ant, you know, uh, a cycle in a young uh, technology startup versus the time that it takes for a large organization, certainly you know, as large as an insurance company, to make a decision. Uh, they're, they're, they're completely misaligned. You know, by the time somebody could reply with an email uh, on to set up a meeting, a startup could get be born, uh, uh, exist, and die. You know, does that make sense? It does. It does. You know, as I'm as I'm thinking and listening to uh, a little bit of differences between um, England and America right now in the insurance technology world, I think about privacy. And we've recently done quite a few podcasts on uh, IoT devices and how insurance companies are working with insureds uh, to uh, install IoT devices in their home so they can uh, react to data quicker so that the insureds may not have to file claims, just uh, allowing information to pass between the two entities freely. I want to ask, how is how is that working uh, over in the UK right now? Do insureds want insurance companies to be in their home in, in real time? Is there a privacy concern? What is the overall stance there? Um, it's a very good question. I think there is a, a sharp uh, difference at the moment, and I know that that's about to change because a piece of le legislation on your, on your side of the pond that I can't bring up the, the, the acronym, but here we have GDPR. Right. And GDPR is a fairly aggressive um, set of policies that, um, that hand the control of the data, of personal data, back to consumers' hands. And I, I, I know that there's this, you know, there's a, a equivalent type of legislation that is on its way in California. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I California. believe that is yes. true. So it's, uh, it really changes how uh, organizations, how free uh, organizations are. Uh, and, you know, the biggest kind of benefit, historically, biggest uh, beneficiaries of that were the, the, the technology companies. How, how did they need to engage with, the, with their customers' data? I think that there is certain parts of the market and certain uh, uh, kind of uh, contexts where this is actually a little bit outside the consumer sphere and where these sort of solutions potentially have more, uh, more business case or legitimacy. So for example, we see activity here around telematics right. um, and kind of being able to 
uh, and, and we kind of we dealt with the telematics kind of uh, subject in a few contexts, both in consumer and B two B. And um, I think that there is activity within that of kind of using that data to be able to uh, uh, look at things at scale and be able to generate insights um, with a on the consumer side that is yet to be proven that it even works. There's some evidence that potentially telematics actually make people, you know, the, the fact that they're there, they influence behavior in a certain way that kind of backfires the entire thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that also within, again, within the commercial the B2B uh, uh, areas, there are certainly successful initiatives for putting IoT devices uh, into into areas that are prone to risk to be able to, uh, to 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 qualify that risk earlier and better. One of the big things that we hear a lot about UK right now, of course, is Brexit, and I'm sure uh, from the looks of things, it's certainly very big news um, where you live. And um, does that does that have an effect on anything we're talking about? Um, it has uh, it has effect of every on everything I think um, in in a macro in a macro sense. Well, even GDPR, you know, like for example, um, in and this is at the moment looks like it's not as uh, close to, to 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 a risk of happening as it used to be. But hard Brexit, for example, if it would happen, and hard Brexit meaning that. We just, you know, we just jump off, float away as an island without any proper policy in place with our previous uh, European, uh, uh, European, as in Boris Johnson's words, our European friends. Um, right. UK becomes a third party, a third country when it comes into GDPR. So it, it's, it's uh, all the customer data that is held by uh, companies here in the UK. Uh, is treated completely differently. It's treated as a company that, as, as a country that is not trusted by the EU to have uh, the same level of, uh, of uh, you know, of uh, governance and processes as an EU country. So it's it's a huge thing, um, and, and you know the, the, the sort of business that Lloyd's does and the sort of business that the uh, insurance companies do uh, is it's global. It's, uh, it's it certainly has a huge huge effects, um, but hopefully we'll uh, you know my, my, I hope that we will sort it out and that it's uh, we'll we'll manage to avoid the, the really uh, uh, painful um, consequences of this decision and uh, and you know we'll agree a deal and then it's going to be a little bit less painful. But yeah, it has a, has a huge effect on everything. I just I just have to ask because I'm curious. Is the popular sentiment to to leave, or I mean, do you have a sense? Is that a fair question? Is there a sense of that among the public? Um, I think it's oh. funny enough. It's very much like you know the current Republican administration in, in states in, in stateside. I think that sitting in East London, in you know, in the uh, tech hub of the UK, it's very easy to say, yeah, everybody's against Brexit, but. That's not the case. Half of the population voted to leave. You know, right. So, 
Um, you could say that some of them might have changed their minds, maybe, once they understood right. what, what actually is at stake. But yeah, half of the country, you know, elected Trump and half of the country uh, voted for Brexit. It's, it's undeniable. Correct. And I, I think that's a great analogy, even though, you know, people on either side of the argument might, you know, look at it a little bit differently. The fact is, is that half, half the people feel this way. And it, it just takes half plus a little bit mm-hmm. to, to be on the winning side of it. And um, that, that's exactly what happened in the U.S. And that's exactly what happened in, uh, in, in the U.K. So, uh, well, listen, we uh, are really appreciative for your time and for all the great information that you shared today. It's so interesting to us to know that, um, that companies like yours are involved in very similar projects and programs and, and concepts to what we're doing here. This is really a global, um, InsureTech is a global initiative and, um, and it's, it's, it's good to know that it's alive and well and healthy and has uh, partners like Elswen in, in, in Europe. Yeah, I think it is. Insurance is a global, you know, a global industry. And I think there's so many great learnings on both sides and so many great examples. And, you know, for example, the stuff that Lemonade does and right. the consumer side is incredible. I think that uh, there's very interesting examples over here as well. Um, Zigo and Kuba and, you know, there's, uh, I think there's a lot that can be learned on both sides. And it's an industry that, that can go and change drastically. Well, listen, when we come do our London podcast roadshow, can we broadcast from the offices of Elsewhere? Absolutely. We would be honored. You're uh, welcome to broadcast here. You're welcome to come visit us. And we'll certainly, certainly show you uh, around and, uh, you know, the Grand Tour, walking you from uh, Shoreditch to uh, the Lloyd's building. It's an, it's an interesting journey and it's a, uh, it's a, it's very uh, insightful, I think, in terms of what is happening in London today. That's really cool. Is there a pub somewhere along the way? More than one, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Leon, again, thank you so much for being with us and uh, we'll look forward to meeting you in person sometime. Same. Uh, if I'm over there as well, I would love to catch up. And uh, thank you for having me. Hey, Lee, that was, that was different and interesting, wasn't it? I liked it a lot. Uh-huh. I thought it was really neat. It got me thinking about how other uh, parts of the world are, are working through InsureTech or even FinTech. Right. Because we were at, we were at InsureTech this year, and they announced that they were having uh, a InsureTech in, Asia. in Singapore right. next year. Uh, it seems like there's just a whole different uh, way to do things that maybe they're uh, a little ahead of us in some and a little behind us uh, in others, not in technology, but in where they're at in this world of insure tech. Their company, Elswin, is I wish we had some budget to employ a company like that with some of the projects that we're interested in right. and that we talk about. Right. Right. To have somebody who can help you through, take you through the whole process from concept. Cause we, I mean, coming up with a concept is one thing, but to bringing it to market is a whole nother. Well, that's, that's true. And I think there's, there's companies in America, obviously, sure. you know, who do that. Sure. Uh, and I think that, uh, it's a very interesting 
uh, take on working through these problems, uh, being able to find uh, creative partners, being able to create proof of concept, being able to actually use data to test it. Uh, I think it's it's neat. And I think it's needed to help us move forward in this world of uh, uncertainty uh, to find out exactly where we're going. Interesting story that he told about meeting with some insurance people just three or four years ago who were, right. it sounded like, if I can use these, I'm, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but it sounds like there was some resistance to technology change um, because of the of the regulatory um, protections, if you will, that, that insurance enjoys or deals with. Um, which we hear here as well, but I think that all of that has all, all of that has pretty much fallen away. Wouldn't you agree? I would. I would agree. I think all of that has pretty much fallen away. I think that uh, eight years ago we heard a lot of that. We heard some pushback, and uh, well, that's not us. We don't need to worry about that. But I think that's gone, and I think I think that uh, the UK is coming to realize sure, that as sure. well. So we're real real uh, grateful to Leon. It's great to have an opportunity to speak to somebody. It's amazing that we can just have a podcast with somebody who's in London. Yeah, just and a just a chat. Just a just a, a a cup of tea, you might say. A cup of tea. A cup of tea. Anyways, today is Halloween for those of you who are keeping track, keeping score at home. And uh, everybody in Waco, you might want to know, is in costume. But but not I'm here not in California. I'm not in costume, Rob. I'm dressed as an old cranky guy. Well, that is uh, your everyday costume. It's not a costume. Okay. Anyways, uh, we thank we thank Leon and everyone at Elsewhen for making this happen, and we appreciate you being with us today. And as always, the way that you can support us the most is to um, subscribe to our podcast, or maybe to do business with Four Seventy Claims, who is our sponsor and employer. And until next time, we'll sign off the way that we always do by saying. Bye, everybody.